And we're back. Welcome back, everybody. Another edition of the Auburn Undercover Podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. My name is Nathan King. Hope everybody's had a good week. Going to dive into some Auburn basketball, SEC basketball at large today with Blake Lovell, who covers the SEC. He's covered it for a long time for a lot of different places. Right now, he has a great podcast called The 14. I consider him kind of the king of SEC hoops. Um, if you follow him on Twitter at the Blake Lovell, you know that he's been covering SEC hoops for a long time. And that's a great wealth of knowledge on the subject. Last week on the podcast, or earlier this week, I guess, when Desi Sills committed and me and Mark were talking, we talked about where Auburn might be in terms of the SEC picture right now for next season. It's kind of tough to tell. I mean, there's still, obviously, there's just so long to go. There, the season just ended, obviously, with the Final Four um, earlier this month. So a little bit silly to look ahead so early on, but when you look across the conference, a lot of different teams are bringing in transfer players and sort of the rosters are starting to take shape again, NBA draft declarations guys could still come back, but just the basic makeup of different teams is starting to take shape. And we're starting to see who might be the contenders next season. And obviously everybody is hoping at Auburn that the Tigers are able to get back into the NCAA tournament picture and get back in SEC title contention. So we're going to talk to Blake about that today and kind of get a picture of what the rest of the SEC looks like, um, as well as his perspective on what Auburn is doing in the transfer portal right now. Obviously, Auburn has four transfer additions with Desi Sills. You have Sills from Arkansas, the shooting guard. Walker Kessler, the former five-star center, number one overall player in Georgia. You've got Wendell Green and Zepp Jasper, both of whom are going to play point guard at Auburn. Wendell Green was a pure point guard out of Eastern Kentucky, had one of the best assist marks in the country, was one of the better freshman players in the country. And he signed with Auburn this week, as did Zepp Jasper, the combo guard, a little bit more experience to him out of College of Charleston. Now, it hasn't been all good news for Bruce Pearl and Auburn recently. They did have Trey Alexander, the four-star shooting guard out of Oklahoma, the number one prospect in Oklahoma, committed to the team in November and signed with the program. Six days later, he has been released um, from his letter of intent with the program, decided that he wanted to back out of that. Um, he did talk about it today with Cameron Jordan from the Oklahoman. Obviously, Trey Alexander out of Heritage Hall in Oklahoma, obviously the best player in the state, according to the 24-7 Sports rankings talked about why he wanted to reopen his recruitment again you can find this story cameron jordan of the oklahoman you can find it online at the oklahoman.com um, he said he felt like this is trey alexander felt like most of the stuff auburn told me in the beginning of the recruitment didn't stick and they didn't keep their word basically that's the main reason i decided to decommit end quote so obviously Looks like some of the things that Trey Alexander expected and how he expected to come in and be a factor for this team in his freshman season changed. Seems like it's likely that that has to do with the transfer additions for Auburn and just how the roster changed. So obviously Bruce Pearl changing up the plans a little bit with Auburn's roster for next season. And Trey Alexander didn't want to be a part of it. So he got released from his uh, letter of intent signing with the program and is now going to look elsewhere. So that's really only the big... Uh, it's really been the big setback for them so far. Like we talked about earlier this week, Alan Flanagan did decide to come back. That was big for them. Not that I don't think they were ever um, super worried about him leaving for the NBA draft. And then you've got JT Thor still testing the NBA draft waters. Obviously, they did lose Sharif Cooper at the beginning of the process. He's going off to the NBA, but that wasn't really a surprise. It would have been a huge shock if he had decided to return since he had been a first round draft pick pretty much since he started playing back in January. 
But before we get started, just wanted to to make a note before we kick things off um, about Terrence Clark. For those who hadn't seen the former Kentucky basketball player, former five-star recruit, um, guy who is going to be picked pretty highly, pretty good NBA draft prospect, uh, passed away in Los Angeles on Thursday. So we just wanted to um, extend our thoughts and our sympathies with his family, the Kentucky basketball family. Obviously, the SEC is one big family, and we're about to get into a conversation talking about great SEC basketball players right now. And certainly Terrence Clark was one of those um, at Kentucky. So just wanted to, before we get started, um, extend our sympathies to his family and uh, let them and Big Blue Nation at Kentucky know that uh, we at Auburn Undercover and certainly Auburn as well, the entire SEC basketball family um, is thinking about them and thinking about the family of Terrence Clark. So we'll, uh, we'll get into our conversation with Blake right now on the state of SEC basketball. And here we go. And now we have Mr. Blake Lovell on the podcast today, the authority on SEC hoops, in my opinion. Um, he has a great podcast. Go check it out. The 14, where not just SEC basketball, all SEC sports, you guys do a great job of covering it there. And Blake, I followed you on Twitter for a long time. I think since I was like a sophomore or junior in, in college, and you're the you're the number one SEC hoops authority. So I wanted to... <laughs> Wanted to get you on here this week and talk a little bit about the craziness. I mean, it, it seems like the SEC, I haven't, you know, dived into to every single conference, how they've done in the transfer portal, but um, it seems like it's been a huge offseason for the SEC in that regard. And we'll start with Auburn. I, I know they took a little bit of uh, a step back, I guess, yesterday, losing Trey Alexander, the four-star shooting guard. He, he reopened his recruitment after signing with the program, but um, kind of what is your opinion of what Bruce Pearl has done this offseason? Obviously, Walker Kessler was the really, really big one, but he's had some other um, notable transfer additions as well. And how good do you think they can make this Auburn team next year? Yeah, I mean, th- thanks for having me on, uh, Nathan, and thanks for the kind words. But like you said, I mean, I, I think if you're Auburn, um, you've got to feel pretty good about where you're at right now. And you mentioned it just as a whole for the SEC. I mean, the SEC has done a really, really good job, I think, transfer-wise. And and I think it's, you know, having coaches like Bruce Pearl and Eric Musselman and Nate Oates and guys like that in the conference that have, have really shown at this point that they kind of understand uh, how to work the transfer portal. And and now it's such a unique landscape where, you know, we've got this one-time transfer rule and, you know, the transfer numbers are hitting close to 1,500 right now. Um, I think you got to have guys like that who, who can sort of uh, work their magic in the portal to be able to have a team that can compete at the top of a conference. And I think for Auburn, they're going to have a chance to do that next season. Um, you mentioned, I mean, just, just getting in guys, um, you know, like Walker Kessler and bringing in, you know, even someone like Desi Seals, I think from Arkansas, uh, a guy who showcased some potential, um, you know, what you have coming in on the freshman front um, and then getting Alan Flanagan back, you know, there's just so many different, I think options now for Auburn in terms of, okay, there's a lot of different talent you can work with. They're not going to be, as inexperienced as they were last year. And I thought that was the big thing for them is, you know, unique season, anyway, you slice it because they're not going to postseason, but they were just so young and, you know, yes, you don't have Sharif Cooper in there and all that, but I think that they're going to actually be a, a team that, that should finish at least for me, as I look at it right now on paper, you know, they're going to have a chance to be a, a preseason top 25 team and probably have a chance uh, to be right up there uh, near the top of the sec. Yeah, you said it right there. That's one of the things I wanted to ask you because it's a little bit tough right now to grasp. I know it's super early, right? Joe Lenardi put out his <laughs> way too early bracketology. And uh, I mean, I I wrote a story on it, but it it's just funny to look ahead at this point. But 
Um, I think the SEC landscape and, and the, the the picture of these teams is starting to become a little clearer, even, you know, we're nowhere near done. But who are the teams in your eyes? Obviously, Mississippi State comes to mind for me, adding two big transfers. Alabama yep. did a good job of reloading. Um, Jamie and Brakefield from Duke went to Ole Miss. So who are some teams in your eyes that, like Auburn, like you're alluding to, took some big steps this offseason um, and kind of moved themselves up into the top of the SEC for next year? Yeah, I think you're, you know, if we look at it as a whole, I think back to the, it seems like the season that I always talk about was the 2018-19 season, the SEC, where you had, you know, LSU won the regular season title, but you had two 30-win teams behind them in Kentucky and Tennessee. And then Auburn was also in there. I forgot Auburn won 30 that year too um, at the end. So it's like, that was probably the strongest the SEC, I think, has been in a long, long time. I think there's actually a possibility that this upcoming season has a chance to rival that um, just based on, like we talked about, the transfers that are coming in and all the talent around the league. Right now, I think Alabama's a preseason top five team. Uh, I think Arkansas is probably preseason top 10 to 15. I think Tennessee is in that same category. I mean, Tennessee's had a really good offseason. Um, I'm still going to be a little hesitant on them because I was the one that got burned by Tennessee last season uh, when I said that I, I really thought that they could be you know, a team that, that made a very deep run when the SEC, uh, but they just were so inconsistent. But man, they've had a really good offseason in terms of all the players they've added to the mix. Um, they're still going to be a little young, and that's what worries me a little bit with them. Uh, but I still think you know, going into the season, Tennessee's going to be right there. You know, Kentucky... I mean, Kellen Grady, I think, is exactly what they needed to find some guy that can shoot it, have a knockdown, consistent shooter. Um, and then, you know, to add Oscar Sheepway to the mix, uh, I think Kentucky's going to be right back where they usually are. Um, so right there, you know, we've named Alabama, Arkansas, Tennessee, Kentucky, Auburn. That's five teams. Florida has done a really good job, I think, of sort of just uh, they're flipping their roster, which is always, I think, a little bit of a concern because you don't really know how all the pieces are going to fit together, but they brought in a lot of talent. And I think that's important in an off season like this for Mike White, where, you know, heading into next season, there, there's already been a little pressure, I think, from fans uh, for him because they have been up and down um, in terms of their consistency as well. And then you mentioned Mississippi State. That's the team I think you really keep your eye on here because they've got that sophomore trio, um, you know, coming back, Molinar, Stewart, and Smith, uh, barring any late transfers from those guys. You add what they've added with DJ Jeffries, Garrison Brooks, and, and other guys as well. I think Mississippi State is sort of that team that I don't even know if you can classify them as a sleeper at this point because to me, you know, they're hovering right there on that that top 25 range already. Um, so, I mean, realistically, I mean, the SEC could have half the league with a, a actual argument going into the season to say, hey, we're, we're right there in that top 25, top 30 type range nationally uh, just because there are a lot of very loaded rosters here. And, you know, we didn't even talk about a team like LSU who they're losing a ton. I think they take a, a step back. I don't know how sig significant of a step back it is, but I mean, they've still got, you know, Xavier Benson coming over. Seneca Knight was really good at San Jose state um, and they've got other players around them. So it's going to be very, very competitive. And I think this again could be the most competitive the SEC has been certainly since 1819, uh, but maybe, you know, even more so than that season. Yeah. I think LSU, I think you're right. They always find a way to be competitive at the top of the league. Um, yeah. I mean, that's a good point about the 1819 season. It seems like I didn't even really remember that those, all three of those teams that you mentioned were ahead of Auburn and then Auburn is the one, you know, fourth or fifth right. place, whatever they're <laughs> seated in the conference tournament. They're the ones who make the run. Um, but you touched on it there. A lot of a lot of new players coming in, transfers across the country. 
Um, and it seems like before, like people were making fun of Arkansas, I think last year, because like they were involved in every transfer. Um, but you don't see people doing that anymore because that's ever, that's just the, the state of things right now. And you guys talked about it on your podcast earlier this week, I think about the impact of the one-time transfer rule in the SEC. Yeah. Just do you think this is the norm now? I mean, Auburn's going to have four or five, possibly six guys coming in from the transfer <laughs> portal on their roster. Their roster is going to look completely different. Do you think that's just what we're going to have to come to expect, especially in a conference like the SEC, which seems like they're, they're leaning on guys like this to sort of upkeep their rosters year after year? Yeah, the teams that, that are going to succeed are going to be the ones that that rely on transfers, like it or not. I mean, I just think that that's the landscape we've entered. And, you know, I you mentioned it. We did talk about it on the podcast, and I was one that kind of took a step back and said, man, I don't – like this game looks completely – starting to look completely different. You know, the Roy Williams thing, I think, kind of caught a lot of people off guard with him retiring. But the more you think about it, like he probably got out at the right time because this is a very new – um, landscape in college basketball. Yes, we've talked about transfers over the years, but you know the numbers keep going up. And now, as we said, when you look at just the nature of where things are right now, if you can't find a way to build your roster with nothing, you know, more than just freshmen, uh, then I think you're in trouble. And and you know, yes, there are going to be some of those teams that are outliers. That you know, you have the Kentuckys over the years that have just you know basically loaded their entire rotation with eight freshmen um, or something like that, and they still find a way. But you know, that's those are unique circumstances um, in terms of, of being able to do that. And so that's not going to work for everyone. And I think at this point, if you're a coach. You know, would you rather go out and, and this is not to, you know, yes, you've still got to go out and get guys that are very talented freshmen to develop in your program because not everyone's going to come in and, and be one and done right away. But would you rather go out and maybe get a guy that you're kind of on the fence on um, as, let's say, you know, a, a four star type guy? Um, or would you go out and pick up someone that's already averaged 15 and seven? Um, at a at a high mid-major level or a power conference level and just put them into your roster. I think, you know, if you're a coach right now, you're probably going to look at the ladder and say that gives us the best chance to win immediately, which that's what it's all about. Um, that is the coaching profession now. It is win now, win now, win now. Like there is no uh, win five years from now. Like this is just the nature of things, especially in the SEC. We talk about how competitive the SEC has gotten. And you look up, I mean, look at a guy like Tom Crean at Georgia, right? Like we knew when he came into Georgia, we're thinking, all right, he's going to have some time here uh, to really be able to to build things and maybe get things right here. And I mean, we're going into year four now, and Georgia fans are not happy. And quite frankly, yeah. they've had a ton of guys transfer out this offseason, and they don't have a lot of guys to replace them. So like those are the kind of things you start to think about is 10 years ago, 15 years ago, Maybe things are a little bit different in terms of coaches having more leeway. Uh, but now, if you're a coach, you have to look at it and say, I got to go get the guys that can help me win now. And that's where you're going into the transfer portal, getting grad transfers, guys like that. Because otherwise, you really can't afford just to sit back and say, I'm going to build half my roster just through freshmen. I'm going to do it through player development over two or three years. Yes, it works if you have, you know, if your job security is great. But if it's not, um, that's that's an alternative resource now where you have the transfer portal. Just go out and grab four or five guys and and be able to plug them in right away and, and take your chances on that. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions and you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. 
New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. Yeah, I think you're exactly right that, I mean, you can feel one way or another about the direction that college basketball and college football is doing the same thing. But with the transfer right. portal being such a such a big factor in it now. Um, but if you fall behind in it and you don't like it, I mean, that's just kind of the way it's going to be <laughs> right now. I think a lot of Auburn fans are sort of realizing that over the course of this offseason because they lost players to transfer. But they lost three of them. And I feel like that's pretty average. I mean, maybe they could lose no, one yeah. more. But that's going to be, I mean, across the country, especially for a program that's trying to be competitive, like you talked about, there was a good tweet from uh, last week from Andrew Hutchinson, who covers Arkansas for Rivals. Um, you know, people were moaning and groaning about how many players are in the transfer portal right now. Um, you know, looking at the final four, four of Baylor's top six scorers were transfers. And yeah. UCLA and Houston's best players were transfers. <laughs> so you kind of got to jump on the jump on it right now. Or you're going to get left behind. You touched on it there with Tom Crean. That's something I wanted to get into. Um is this the strongest you think the SEC head coaching roster has been in a long time? Because for me, I think Crean is the best example of it. Like you said, really high profile addition for Georgia. They were hoping, you know, to get a Bruce Pearl like renaissance to the program and, and <laughs> turn them around. And now all of a sudden he's on the hot seat after just a few years of not being at that kind of level. Um, and he was a guy who was really, really big when he was brought in. So just with Nate Oates emerging and Bruce Pearl emerging and just it seems like every year a new coach in that conference rises up and, and gets their team to the tournament and gets them competing in the SEC. How strong is this head coaching roster for the conference right now? And and how big do you think that can be moving forward just for the strength and the health of the conference? Well, I mean, th- think about this, Nathan. You go back to this last season, and yes, we all have to admit Kentucky's kind of an outlier because this was a season that, again, uh, Kentucky's not going to go 9-16 and 16 next year. But, I mean, think about it. Like the bottom half of the SEC, which is beyond, I think Missouri finished seventh. So Kentucky finished eighth, final four national championship coach. Mississippi State finished ninth, final four coach. Auburn, 10th, final four coach. Georgia, 11th, final four coach. South Carolina, 12th, final four coach. Right? Like it's just, it's insane. Like think about that. It's, I mean, then you have A&M and Vanderbilt at the bottom, which, you know, Buzz Williams, I think still a really good, really good coach. I mean, Jerry Stackhouse walking to a situation in Vanderbilt that was not going to be easy. Um, and, you know, Vanderbilt kind of is where they are at this point, but you think about that, like those are the guys at the bottom half of the SEC are the ones that have either won a national championship, even got to national championship game, um, or been to a final four in their careers. And, and then, you know, at the top, You've got Nate Oates, Eric Musselman, um, you know, Will Wade, Rick Barnes, Mike White, Kermit Davis, Conzo Martin. Like the majority of those guys have not been to a Final Four and they've been to Sweet 16s, maybe Elite Eights, that type of stuff. But it's like this is sort of that element now to where the guys who have had a lot of success in their careers, it's not easy to be able to sustain that success in this current landscape in the SEC. And quite frankly, you know, I said it, you know, Kentucky, one of those years where I think they take a step back and obviously they're going to be back to where they used to be. Um, I think it's the same for Auburn. You know, we kind of expected this past year, or at least I did. I thought Auburn, you know, just going to be a bit of a down year because they didn't have the experience you had in the Shreve Cooper situation. But I think Kentucky and Auburn both make their jump back up. Well, I don't think Alabama and Arkansas are going anywhere. I think we've seen that. Like those teams are going to be right there near the top. Somebody's got to finish one through 14. And that's where you know, that pressure starts to add on coaches, like we mentioned with Crean. Um, you know, we've seen sort of the a very 
weird situation, I think, at South Carolina uh, with Frank Martin, who, you know, got them to a Final Four. And, and there was the discussion this offseason about whether they could actually fire him. Um, I, I think, you know, I've said it many times, but if I'm Frank Martin, I know they gave him a two-year extension. But if I'm Frank Martin, I'm probably trying to, to find another job just because I don't know that – that he gets the support there uh, necessarily at times that he needs. And I just think that's a really, really hard job. Um, so, you know, I mean, take take Vanderbilt, for example. Like, look how far Vanderbilt hit rock bottom. Like, we don't see many teams do that in power conferences. But Vanderbilt hit the absolute bottom that year when they did not win a game in conference play. And, and they have not been able to recover from that for several years because – there's just only so much you can do to be able to jump forward. And now, as we said, with the transfers and such, um, I mean, again, Vanderbilt, great example. Dylan Dessou just left. I mean, arguably he's the best rebounder in the SEC, could have been a top 10 player in the league this year. Now he's probably leaving and going to Texas. Um, is that Jerry Stackhouse's fault or is that just the nature of the game and just the overall competitiveness in college basketball? I think that's what you have to think about. And, and that's where I think the pressure on coaches just elevates to a point now to where sometimes some of these things just are out of the coach's control and there's only so much you can do. And, and when you're in a conference like this, um, you you have so little room for error and that's where, you know, guys start getting fired. And that's what we said. I think going into next season, you know, no coaching changes in the SEC. What? I guess it's been two seasons now, which is very unusual. But I think next season, you know, you start to look up and say, oh, I could see maybe three, four different guys that are, that are really on that that hot seat type heading into next year. Yeah, it's cutthroat now, which is crazy. It's almost yep. at the level of the of the football coaches. And somebody this week was talking to me about how, you know, like it's it's kind of the same for both of them. The SEC in football, although that coaching roster, that coaching lineup um, is super strong as well. Obviously, that bodes well for the SEC come tournament time because you're in a really tough conference. But during the season when you're losing, you know, every other game because <laughs> every team you're playing is in the top 25. Obviously, that's really difficult. Blake, one more question. Appreciate you coming on and then we'll let you go. Um, you talked about all the, you know, all these transfer additions moving at these new schools, but then there are a lot of schools that have good players coming back and are returning a good bit of their core. Um, when Alan Flanagan returned ESPN and their story called him a, a preseason player of the year candidate in the conference. Again, this is silly. It's so far in advance, but <laughs> do you think that is a possibility for a guy like Flanagan? And then who are you sort of looking at across the conference and saying, whether it's a transfer or a guy coming back saying, I really like that fit. I really like, um, how they are in, on that team. And I think they can be somebody who can make some noise, possibly a guy like that, a, a player of the year candidate in the preseason. Yeah, I mean, I think Flanagan can certainly be, you know, in that category of first team all SEC guys next year. You know, how Auburn finishes, as we know, with the voting, usually that's that's how it goes. And, um, you know, if they if they were to be a team that, that finishes, you know, at the top or second or something like that, sure. I mean, he's going to be the guy you probably look at, um, you know, as someone who's really going to be a, a big part of their success. I mean, elsewhere, you know, I mean, we talk about Alabama. I think adding someone like Namari Burnett, um, who, you know, former five-star guy, went to Texas Tech, I probably, you know, should have chosen Alabama in the first place just based on the style of play. And I think he, he may have recognized that. And then now you have a coaching change at Texas Tech. But, you know, I think he's a guy that's probably going to come in and have a lot of success right away. And and even, you know, you look at the returnees for Alabama too, like Shackelford, Quinterly, like if those guys are back, I think they're – you know, their quality SEC player of the year type players, if we project that Alabama is going to be, you know, perhaps the top team again, or, you know, second, third, whatever, um, you know, and so I think you look at guys like that. I mean, I really, Kentucky will have their pick of the group, um, depending on, you know, how guys like Kellen Grady and, and Chibwe adjust coming in. 
but really, you know, I'll go back to what we said uh, a few minutes ago. And, and you know, Tennessee will, will obviously they'll have their choices too. I think Kennedy Chandler, um, you know, he's he's fantastic, and, and I think he could come in and, and be really really good right off the bat uh, for them. But I will go back to Mississippi State. Like, you know, maybe the numbers maybe don't support it in terms of just having so many different guys that could really, you know, maybe average 10 to 12 points. And you're not going to have maybe that just one guy that's going to come up and average 20 something. But like Mississippi State, I think we'll have several different guys that if they were to finish, you know, let's say a top three or something, which I don't think is completely out of the question. Um, they they could have a couple guys that are in that discussion to say, man, maybe that guy's uh, maybe he's not the, the player of the year, but maybe he's like you know, third or something like that. They could have several guys. I think in that conversation. So uh, there will be no shortage of options. I think in the SEC this season, uh, when you start to kind of project ahead, and, and like you mentioned, it's it's still a long way from trying to figure out exactly what these rosters are going to look like, and you still don't know if certain guys are coming back um, or not. You know, John Fulkerson could he all of a sudden turn things around? He comes back to Tennessee for another year. Um, he was a preseason All SEC type guy we thought, and just didn't have the season. Uh, we expected him to, you know, could he find that groove again and, and be someone um, that's a, you know, a first team all SEC player? Sure he could. Um, and so there's just so many different, I think, cases like that. And, you know, we haven't even mentioned Arkansas's group, like Arkansas is going to be really, really good. Um, so yeah, that it's going to be, I mean, the talent, no shortage of talent in the SEC next season. And, and there's going to be a lot of different guys uh, you look at and say, man, you could, you could see them kind of boosting into that conversation for uh, one of the best players in the league. Yeah, I thought Herb Jones last year winning that set a good precedent for a player not being the, you know, 27 Agreed. points a game score, yeah. <laughs> but them kind of realizing the value, which was good. That means people actually watched the games and realized how valuable he was. So like like you're talking about, somebody from Mississippi State maybe could fit into that conversation. He is Blake Lovell. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and talking a little SEC hoops. You can find him on Twitter at the Blake Lovell. You can find their podcast at 14 Southeastern on Twitter. It is the 14 podcast cover much more than just SEC basketball, all things SEC. So appreciate Blake for coming on today. We are going to get to a quick break and we'll be right back on the Auburn Undercover podcast. And that'll do it for this edition of the Auburn Undercover podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Blake Lovell. Again, he's just got a ton of knowledge about SEC hoops. You can find him on Twitter at the Blake Lovell and their podcast, the 14, again, covers everything, not just SEC basketball, SEC in general, but I do consider him kind of the top authority on everything SEC hoops. So appreciate him coming on the podcast to join us today. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. If you like the show, leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. That really does help us out. If there is somewhere that you cannot find this show, if it's not appearing on the favorite your favorite place where you like to listen to podcasts, definitely shoot me a message because we were able to get that situation figured out with a couple different podcasting services. So definitely let me know and we will get that squared away. The intro and outro music is by my buddy Beats by Mordecai. That's Beats by Mordecai. You can check him out on Twitter, SoundCloud, and Instagram. Thanks so much to him for providing us with that. And until next time, you guys have a great weekend. See you next time.